flyover footy on the big 550 KTRS. We got the whole crew today, which is super exciting. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. We have a game. We have the League's Cup, and we're going to go pretty deep on that, as well as hopefully some rumors and some fun chat at the end on the wind down. First, let's say hello to everybody. Matt Baker's here as always. How's it going, Matt? Fantastic. Doing great. Excited to be here. Excited the four of us are here, and we're starting this new journey into League's Cup. Yeah, Santiago, what are you what are you thinking this week as far as League's Cup and and more St. Louis soccer on the way with I don't know, there's a lot of weirdness going on right now. Yeah, I know. Really excited. Um, new competition, new international com- first international competition for St. Louis CDSC. So excited about that, excited about the game next week about uh, against uh, Club America, one mm-hmm. of the biggest clubs in in Mexico, so looking forward to seeing a full-packed um, city park next Thursday. And Stuart Holtgren is here to join us as well. Stuart, we got a lot of like possible rabbit trails that like feature your you know expertise. I'm pretty excited to talk about today. I'm not sure I have any expertise, but yeah, no, I'm excited. Like uh, Santi said about seeing the biggest club in North America, and uh, also seeing Club America join us. Exactly. <laughs> nice. I like that. I love it. More about that later. Uh, let's talk about the game uh, that happened the other day. 3-0 win against Inter Miami. The last one without Messi. It has to be said, as it's been said for the last week or two. Um, we're going to do one quick take on this. Of course, as always, check out every Monday. Santiago and Matt do flyover fallout. Boy, I wasn't sure I was going to get that right. And so they go over this extensively. But as usual on tonight's show, we're going to give you one little take as we go eat from each person and uh, move on to the next game, which is League's Cup today. So, Matt, let's let's get started with that. Yeah, my takes were were long winded the other day. So I'll just say depth. It was the fourth win out of five matches where we really saw uh, the depth of St. Louis City shine. From Sam Adeneron, Akil Watts, all, all those players who we really need to see in the next half of the season and into League's Cup remain in form, and that's exciting to me. Indeed it is. I completely agree. Santiago, what did you think about that game? Uh, just to emphasize on the depth, uh, just specifically, Josh Jarrow, he had a great game and yeah. has been doing great the, the last few weeks, so it's been great to see uh Josh Jarrow getting minutes and, and playing well after uh, being like on the bench and not playing a lot uh, for 15 or so games. He might be mentioned in the lineup as we try to guess what that might look like in the next games, perhaps. Stuart, any thoughts on Miami? No, just the uh, it, that Josh Jarrow picture was incredible. I'm not sure if that was Joe Martinez who took that or someone else, but uh, with him standing in the forefront with the smoke in the background. But, no, he took advantage of a weak, weak uh, Inter-Miami club. So, no, just fantastic. Got the job done. It did. A weak and- Miami club, but at the same time, uh, a Miami club who has yet to lose to the Columbus crew. Oh. <laughs> That's true. That's interesting. That's a weak check in on that some more this week or today's episode as well but um i just love that you know this was a team that it needed to be a win it needed to be three points they're last in the east they don't have any reinforcements yet this is like the last easy chance to beat miami st louis was at home they got the job done and it was a bit of a defensive team we knew that coming in and it was scored through 
dead ball play set pieces. So that's great. Three set piece type goals um, or two plus a free kick from Leuven, which is, you know, anyway, the fact that they won the way um, they needed to worked out perfectly. More of that going forward, let's hope. Uh, let's move on to player notes, transfers. Are we gonna, Do we have anything on this one? I know we have some rumors to talk about. Yeah, weird week this week with the training timeline. Carnell gave the crew a, uh, pun intended, uh, three days off this week with the All-Star break. So their first day back to training was on Thursday. Wednesday, sorry, Wednesday. Train Thursday, Friday. There's a press conference on Saturday. So be on the lookout for that this weekend. But... Health-wise, my understanding is that everybody came through okay, and it's basically looking at fitness, looking at the loads and managing minutes going forward. So that's a that's a good sign. Klaus had an MRI or had an image last week, and we should hear more about that this weekend. And that'll lead into in a few minutes. We'll talk about the League's Cup roster and good good news potentially there. Indeed. Santiago, any news from you this week? Anything else you'd like to add? No, no. I I went to practice today, but uh, it was delayed because it was lighting. So mm. basically we were sent home because they didn't know when they were going to start practicing. And of course, I got home like half an hour later and it was like sunny and, and really nice. So, yep. so uh, it was just a bad timing when, when we got there. I think you know part of the weirdness that's coming up this week is this the transfers. You know whether these transfer rumors are real. A lot of weird stuff coming from Europe for sure. Um, and so, do we have time to kind of touch on those? Maybe we we touch on them now and talk more later. Yeah, I, I think you know this is going to be on the big 550 KTRS for the pregame. Everybody's still interested in transfers, incoming, outgoing. The big one this week is Nukvi Thorsen, the Icelandic player who's in the second division Belgium right now, this week has been reported by a Belgium outlet to have struck a deal with his club and St. Louis City, Beershot and St. Louis City, to transfer him to St. Louis City. It was reported that the deal was in place. However, there are now conflicting reports that we can say, conflicting sor- or sources that have disputed that. So it's not that a deal won't occur. It's just that Nothing has been signed. Uh, pen has not been put to paper. And we still understand there to be a difference in uh, transfer fees between the clubs in valuations of what Thorson would garner. St. Louis, we understand, is airing towards the 500000 is what, what we heard around Beershot looking upwards of eight hundred fifty to a million dollars in the transfer fee. Either way, I think it's going to be the highest transfer fee outgoing for Beershot. So they're looking to make history here and they're looking to satisfy their fans. Apparently there's some internal discussions there as far as a new owner, but there's a lot at play on their side. And this is a deal that in my opinion, may be the closest one that we have so far with Conrado being rumored. Uh, we know this week that Lutz finish deal is in Europe. So while the all-star game and festivities were occurring, Lutz is in Europe. We don't know exactly where or what he's up to in Europe, but with the Thorson rumors heating up, you can try and put two and two, two and two together on that. Yeah. And like I said, there's a lot of noise coming from this as well. It's not, you know, it's nice that Lutz is in uh, Europe. So it feels like this one might actually have legs. 
uh, smoke and fire at the same time. But I just want to say that like Manuel Vaith has been the most reliable uh, reporter on this one so far. And if you kind of keep in touch with him, it's easier to sift through the strangeness that's been going on. Uh, Stuart, any thoughts on the rumor there? I know we'll probably get into it later, but if you want any anyone wants to kind of talk about this, thoughts on Thorson, please do. Uh, with Thorson, I mean, I don't know much about him, but I think at this point we can trust the front office to at least have a good valuation on players uh, with Klaus and Leuven and, um, you know, obviously Berkey. So transfer market, we'll get a lot of rumors. Most will miss, some will hit, but uh, just trust Lutz and we'll see what he brings in. Santiago, what do you think about like a million dollars for a player like him? This guy's looking really good, but he's in the Belgian second division. And so like, how does that translate to MLS? Is he worth a million dollars? Is he closer to what we hear City is valuing him at 500,000? Is How does that compare to the other players we've brought in with seemed like really good deals compared to that? Yeah, no, I would say one, one million is too much and it should be. If the deal is close, it will be in that range, um, City wants, uh, but I think one million is too much, even though he has a lot of potential. But the way I see it, he plays in, in the second division in, in Belgium. And and yeah, a lot of times uh, players like that uh, have success in MLS, and I'm sure that's what uh, Lutz and, and the people in St. Louis have seen in him. Um, but I, I think one million is too much, especially because he will not be a young DP or a U22 player. So mm. so I think 500, 600 max is what City should pay for him. Yeah, and he's he's turning 24 in August and talking with Tom Bogert earlier this year, earlier this month rather, he wouldn't qualify for the young DP just because he turns 24 in the league year. And the, the, the way that he kind of profiles is more as that left-sided attacker not necessarily a second striker not not at all a number nine replacement for a klaus or a sam adenaron style player Mm -hmm. this would be more of an inverted winger out on the left hand side so we'd be looking at a potential jared stroud uh conversation there or if we were in a three-man front out on the left up there similar to isaac jensen and what we've seen from him in in certain areas and the valuation in comparison with what city's had so far would be regardless of 500,000 to 850 the the discussion so far he would be the third highest incoming transfer fee we paid after Klaus at a reported 3.5 million Leuven at 1.1 million and so far the next highest is Jabulu Blom at a reported 315,000 yeah and I would compare him a little bit like he profiles and looks more like a winger but not terribly unlike Joe Akini uh, but his positioning in the in the clips that I've seen, really smart positioning all the time as an attacker. And I'd say his finishing would be pretty high up there as far as the finishing talent in at City. And so I think yeah. the thought is like, do we we don't want to have to rely on Joe Akini if Klaus goes down again necessarily as the only striker that can finish things off. So um, it'd be really cool to get him in. Um, is he perfect? Who knows? Uh, it'll be a fun one to debate. And, you know, as I say that, I do want to say that this is for 
the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you for joining us. We're Flyover Footy, uh, but we also do a full podcast. So do check us out at anywhere you get your podcast. We do an extended uh, conversation at the end that's a little more uh, casual and laid back. So um, and nerdy definitely gets more nerdy. So please join <laughs> us and and uh, shoot us a rating if, if you're if you're willing and able. And subscribing helps as well as a podcast. So thanks for listening to us and joining us. Now's the time we're going to start getting getting more information for you guys on the game coming up. We typically broadcast, um, we finish about 30 minutes before every game. So that is true in this case as well. You're about to be able to see Columbus Crew um, in the League's Cup against St. Louis. Uh, Matt, do you want to lead us into uh, teaching us a little bit about Columbus Crew? It's an Eastern Conference team we've never seen before. Yeah, but the interesting aspect to Columbus here is it's not MLS play, right? So we are entering the first, as Santi said, international competition that St. Louis City's ever been a part of. And it's the first year that this competition has existed in this format. So League's Cup in MLS and Liga MX has existed as more of a showcase in the past few years where they just pick four teams and they just have them go at it in a semifinal final matchup in just a few weeks of the year. This is a full-fledged tournament. MLS play doesn't resume again until August 20th. This is going to be a World Cup-style tournament. It's an official CONCACAF competition. It's including every team from MLS, every team from Liga MX, and it includes a group stage and knockout rounds starting at a round of 32. This World Cup-style tournament will have groups that include four regions, East, West, South, and Central. There will be a total of 77 games played between July 21st and August 19th when the finals held. All matches will be played at MLS venues, depending on their region. And there will be different circumstances coming up that we'll talk about later in the tournament as far as who hosts under what scenario. But one of the interesting rules in this tournament is they're adopting the MLS Next Pro rule of no ties. Each team receives one point if the game is tied after 90 minutes. There will be a subsequent penalty shootout immediately after 90 minutes, and the winner of that shootout receives an extra point. Regulation wins still count as three points. So that will be at play this entire time. The tournament is a uh, three teams in each group, and so St. Louis City will be grouped with Columbus Crew and Club America, Every, every group will have uh, matches over the next 10 days. So this is being recorded on Thursday. The games start on Friday. There will be, starting Friday, eight out of the next 10 days will have at least four matches during the group stage. So we're talking about a packed next few, next week and a half or so, coinciding with the Women's World Cup. So what an exciting time to be a soccer fan. The seedings worked based on last year's standings. So we're talking about the top 15 MLS clubs placed uh, in groups based on their seeding. They get kind of a, a priority, and then you dump the rest of the teams in in reverse order. So the highest-seeded team against the lowest-seeded team in a group, and you put the Liga Mekis teams in there with them. Two teams get a bye. I believe it was Pachuca from Liga MX and LAFC based on their winning their respective leagues last year. So group stages occur. Hmm. The top two teams from each group will move on to the round of 32 knockouts. From the round of 32 knockouts, it's single elimination. It's tournament style. It's a bracket. And you get to play in the bracket until a champion is crowned on August 19th. So that's the format. That's the tournament. The prizes for this are very interesting. So there is a cash prize pool being reported, although it's a reported, not officially announced, that the winner will be getting just under $2 million with an overall prize pool of $40 million being split throughout all of the teams. In addition, the top three teams in the League's Cup 
who end up first, second, and third will get CONCACAF Champions, uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup now spots for next year. The winner of the tournament will automatically qualify for the round of 16 in this newly revamped CONCACAF Champions Cup. The other two, the second and third place teams, will enter the tournament, so automatic berths. So that's part of the expanded uh, Champions Cup that will occur next year. So big prizes available for the winners of this. And this is St. Louis's first matchup in this on Sunday. So our first opponent, and the first time we've ever played this team, the Columbus Crew. Any, anything you guys want to say about the League's Cup and the tournament before I jump into the Columbus Crew? Yeah, so so Matt, I don't know if you had this. Uh, yeah, but I'm going to say it. Um, for the, and you mentioned at the beginning, for the second round and then the subsequent rounds, uh, there are some rules specific mm-hmm. to hosting. Hosting. So round of 32, the main thing is uh, the winner of the group, if it is an MLS team, it will host. If it is a team from Mexico playing against an MLS team, the MLS team will host. If it is a Mexican team against a Mexican team, they will play at one of these uh, designated venues mm-hmm. by uh, by region. And then uh, for the next round, for the round of 16, the the kicker is that these rankings that Matt uh, was mentioning when, when the groups were made will apply. So even if you're a first place team in the second round, in the third round, and you're playing against a second place team, for example, City. City is 29 in, in that ranking just because yep. they didn't play in the league last year. <laughs> so if City advances to the round of 16 and plays another MLS team, the other team will host because they will be higher in the rankings. So the key for City to continue hosting, uh, first to host on the round of 32 is to either win the group or for Puebla from uh, the C2 group to uh, advance and play against City. That way City will host. And then uh, for the following rounds, uh, just play against uh, teams from Mexico so City can hope. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, though, right? Because if League MX teams move on, City has a chance to host. And this, the, this piece right here is why I made the comment a, a week or so ago that Messi's impact in this tournament may benefit City. And keep in mind, City's entering this League's Cup break in first place in the West. In the MLS... Uh, rankings and, and how MLS teams qualify for CONCACAF Champions Cup, the conference champions automatically qualify. There's a there's a trickle-down effect here as well, where the more MLS teams that qualify for CONCACAF Champions Cup through League's Cup, the more will be available to qualify through MLS regular season play. So if you get Cincinnati, Seattle, and Real Salt Lake as one, two, and three in League's Cup, then you have open slots if those were to finish in qualifying spots in MLS play. So the next team's down. St. Louis could end up theoretically not finishing first in the Western Conference, but still qualifying for a CONCACAF Champions Cup spot through MLS play if the top Western Conference team qualifies through League's Cup. So that's a reason to root for MLS in general is take up all of the qualifying spots for League's Cup so there are more available in MLS play. Pray for collusion. This is what I was hoping for, <laughs> that these MLS clubs collude against all the Mexican clubs. I'm actually, it's funny you mentioned Puebla because they're up against Minnesota United and Chicago Fire. They're just going to get bunkered against these, this entire group stage, which is kind of funny to think about. Um, I have some thoughts on the groups, but I want to see what Stuart, any thoughts on League's Cup? There's so much more we can touch on here. 
Uh, I really would have preferred seeing some uh, Mexican clubs hosting. I don't feel like this is a very competitively balanced tournament, but I am excited about it. But if and if you have to win seven away matches in a row, that's mm. that's just not fair. That's just not competitive. I don't know. I think you're right, uh, but will they feel like they're away? Because I think, you know, I think the Mexican fans are going to really come out in droves. I think that's the whole point is that they're in the United States. Like, how often does the men's national team yeah, but feel like they're away? Yeah, but there's more to being away or home than just fans in a stadium. You, yeah. You have, you know, going to the grocery store on your match off or transport or, you know, where you stay for the night. And it's it's really not the same to say that you have 2,000 more fans in a stadium 60,000 person stadium or even 8,000 more it's do you host them on your home ground and you spend the night before or two nights before with your family and then you go to the game Mm -hmm. and train Mm -hmm. in your home park I I don't see this as a balanced tournament I am excited about it but Hopefully in the future, there will be more clubs hosting in Canada and Mexico and and the U.S. I completely agree. I would rather see it that way as well. So, you know, this is just the first year. I hope that's something they'll consider in the future. You know, it just adds yet another another thing that kind of adds to that money grab feeling that we get with with Leagues Cup. Um, But I did want to make just a couple comments about the fact that, you know, we talked about how St. Louis wasn't ranked in this. So they just got like the last place in the group, the last seed in the group. Um, But I don't know if we expected St. Louis to be in first place in the West. So, you know, there's this thought that central one has club America has Columbus crew. Who's in sixth place in the East, which isn't incredible, but St. Louis first in the West. This is this the group of death guys. This is the the storyline, the narrative I'm trying to create here. (laughs) It's, if it's not the group of death, it's one of two or three. Mm-hmm. You could make an argument besides Central One, which has the first team in the West, the sixth in the East, and Club America, who is currently 12th in the Liga MX Apertura, with, uh, I believe it is West 2 that has Monterey, Salt Lake, and Seattle. Talking two of the top four Western Conference teams in MLS hmm. and Monterey, who is currently sitting second in Liga MX Apertura. Now, Apertura is only three, two or three games in. So we're talking beginning of the season, still rounding into form. But uh, Monterey is currently two, two, one and oh, two wins, one draw, no losses. So they've got pretty good form going into this tournament. And then I thought there was one other group. What other group were we talking the other day, Santi? It was East One, I think. East One as well. Tijuana, yeah. Philadelphia, and Catatero. Yeah, so, so yeah, it has two, two Mexican teams. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Uh, if it's St. Louis is one of the – St. Louis's group is one of the toughest ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, when, when the groups were announced, I think at least from the city standpoint, I think – at least my personal thought was like, wow, this is going to be a very difficult group for City. Uh, City at that point had not played any games. So it was like, well, yeah, Club America, um, the the team that with most championships in Mexico, and then Columbus Crew, who who, ha- who won the league in 2020, and and they have been one of the one of the top 
teams uh, in the Eastern Conference uh, in the last few years. So I thought it was going to be a very difficult group. But now we look at it, City first place. And yeah, it's a perfect ingredient for uh, the Grupo de la Muerte. Absolutely. I want to say one more thing. Uh, we're going to experience something that uh, the United States doesn't get the flavor of very often. And that I read today that Pumas has uh, some three three-digit uh, roster numbers. So that's something we yeah. will get a taste of, which I'm extremely excited about. Club America does, about. too. Yeah, okay, America cool. does, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see it at City Park. Yeah, and I think uh, what they, for the equivalent of MLX Next Pro for their second team, for their reserve team, uh, mm -hmm. they use uh, those three-digit numbers. So it might be pretty common in this tournament. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Even I was looking at um, the lineup Club America had for their last game, and uh, there was a substitution, and there was a guy with a three-digit number. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Look forward to that. Um, okay, so we haven't touched on Columbus much. I imagine we need to really, really kick into gear talking about the crew. Yeah, the one thing I do want to add before I jump into the crew is mm -hmm. the rosters for all these teams were had had to be specifically submitted for this tournament. And so they do have to comply with your local league roster restrictions. But St. Louis in particular has a couple notables. Joachim Nilsson is not currently on the roster for League's Cup for St. Louis. Johnny Klein is on the roster for St. Louis. Everybody else who's rostered for St. Louis is on the roster. Max Schneider remains on loan, so he's mm -hmm. not on our roster. However, Santi pointed out, or Justin Horniker, I'm sorry, pointed out today that there is an exception for injuries, uh, player acquisitions for the quarterfinals. So the rosters that were submitted now are for group stages and the first couple of uh, knockout rounds. But there is a deadline of the quarterfinals for a, any final substitution. So Joachim Nilsson could be added if St. Louis were to qualify later on. Same with any outgoing transfers mm -hmm. or, or movements overall. So wanted to get that out there before jumping into the group. So much to say there, but we can't. We got to move let's, on. <laughs> let, for, more, for more on the rosters, for more on that, check us out in the wind down. There you go. Promise we'll cover it. Uh, let's jump into Columbus Crew. First time playing them. So league forms. St. Louis enters the League's Cup break in first place in the West. We have 41 points. We know where St. Louis sits. 13-8-2 record. Our form coming into this, we've won four out of our last five. The last three MLS matches were that 3-0 win against Inter-Miami, a 3-0 loss against LAFC, and a 1-0 win against Toronto. Columbus enters League, League's Cup break in sixth place in the MLS East with 36 points through 23 games. They're 10-7-6, 10 wins, 7 draws, 6 losses, with 45 goals scored and a plus 12 goal differential. So they're the only team in MLS that has scored more goals than St. Louis City. And this is important because later on, the, the short and dirty of it is the style of play Columbus plays is very similar to LAFC in Miami, except for they're successful in their attempts and chances like LAFC, unlike Miami. So we're going to go about their style and what we can expect later on, but just knowing how high octane their attack is and how successful they've been. Columbus comes into this, their last three MLS matches, they've gone 1-0 and 2 with a loss at Portland last weekend and a draws against NYCFC 1-1 and a draw against Inter-Miami 2-2. Before that, before their loss last weekend against Portland, their last loss was way back on May 28th, Nashville 3-1. And it's notable that their loss this past week against Portland, they were without their coach, Wilfred Nance, their star forward, Cucho Hernandez. Both were serving suspensions. So this team that lost against Portland was far from 100% and missing a lot of their key weapons, including their coach. Uh, Columbus's last home loss was back on April 29th against Inter-Miami. 
something about this Miami team that I mentioned that's given them fits as they've gone 0-1-1 against them. Columbus has five clean sheets this year. St. Louis has seven. But Columbus hasn't had a clean sheet since their July 4th game. So they're, they're mat- it's been a, a, a few weeks since they've had a clean sheet. They've allowed one, two, three goals since then. So they, they are vulnerable in some of the ways that they can be attacked. The only player who's expected to be out for Columbus is Will Sands. Torn ACL, out for the season, hurt back in April. Other than that, Columbus is expected to be at, at full, full capacity or full strength. But the big question going in here, besides some of the topics we're going to talk about, are how are teams going to approach this League's Cup tournament in general? And that, that's going to be the thing to watch Friday and Saturday in some of these matches and going into our match Sunday is how serious are teams going to take this? The prize money is there. The opportunities for uh, Champions Cup is there. But at the same time, you have all the circumstances surrounding getting back into leagues play later on this year. Both of these teams are doing well in those standings. And how much do you want to jeopardize that? How much rotation will we see? Those are some of the overarching things I'm going to be interested in, not just for these two teams, but MLS in general going into this weekend. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. Like, I'm sure MLS wants this to be an important tournament, and I think that's why we have the CCC berths. And so, yeah, I'm really curious to see. It seems like someone like Crew would go for it while they can, and then, you know, it seems like they'll give it the U.S. Open Cup treatment, but maybe a little bit more. What do you think? Well, one of the on that on that topic, I was listening to Sirius X, Sirius XM FC, and uh, I think it was Tony Mioli was saying. It's, it's a little different than U.S. Open Cup because you can say, like a St. Louis did earlier in this year against Union Omaha, you rotate, and if you just so happen to win, and if we were to win against the Chicago Fire with a rotated squad, and we just so happen to get to a certain point, then yeah, we might take it a little more serious and put in some of our starters. But if you don't make it out of the group stage, these first two matches, you're done. Game over. So you have to make that decision right from the get-go, how mm. serious you're going to take this. Are you going to run out your best 11 for the first two games, and then you're in the knockout stages, so are you going to continue doing that? You have to make very intentional decisions about how you're going to rotate right now. It's not, a, it's not a matter of let's see how the first game goes, and then we'll play it from there. Stuart, any thoughts on what you'd like to see St. Louis do? No, I, I, if we advance from the group stage, I want to go all for it, put all of your powder in, go mm-hmm. for one of those three CCL spots. Otherwise, if we don't, then we don't. Um, but you... We have to play our top players against Club America. We can't be run off the field against them. Hmm. You can't be shown up by them. Uh, I mean, this is, they're the biggest club in North America, and we have to show well against them. And that's what I care to see. Columbus, they're fantastic. Crew are great. They're in a loaded Eastern Conference, but that's the match I care less about at this point. Santiago, a lot of people, including Taylor Twelman, I heard a, a clip from him today saying, take it easy in the League's Cup. You're first in the West. Get some reinforcements as far as transfers and focus on MLS Cup. What do you think about that? I, I disagree uh, just because if you, don't have, if you don't make it to a second round, you will have a long break. Mm-hmm. So you will lose all that momentum. You can also say, yeah, you can get healthy and continue training but it's not the same having competitive games uh is um is the way to continue that momentum mm. so no i i disagree i would uh, as i agree with Stuart. i would put my best li- lineup against club america maybe a little bit of rotation 
uh, against Columbus. And it has been proven that when you have a little bit of rotation, uh, we, we have talked about this, like St. Louis has great depth, uh, has been proven the last few games. So even if you call it a rotation, it's players that mm -hmm. have a few games under their belts. And uh, it's not like uh, putting somebody who has never started or has only started a couple of times. But but yeah, I I, I will go for at least advance to the second round. And, and then from there, um, just assess, okay, any any injuries or um, do I need to continue rotating? It, it will just depends a lot on the match at that point, but I think um, the team will take it seriously and should take it seriously, knowing that, that, that the league is not playing. Um, I just don't know what the team will do if um, they don't make this to the second round and then you have uh, three to four weeks without games. Um, That's going to be a big question, though. Is is what do they have available? And so, if they get bounced, the two I the two avenues I see are City Two, who do have games. They could slide some players down there because there are no restrictions on who they can loan down or schedule friendlies. But either way, it's not as competitive. But a lot of teams are going to be in that same boat. So seeing how these group stage matches shake out is going to be just as interesting as seeing you know who progresses to the finals. To me, uh, I'm going to yeah, steal. You, you, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say very quick, you, you can also play friendlies against the other teams that, yeah. that get bounced. Right. Or even see if a Mexican team that yeah. gets bounced, maybe you can play a, a scrimmage or a friendly against them. But but it is not the same to me. I love that. I would love a scrimmage against a Mexican team. I'm going to steal from Matt. I love the depth idea in that uh, what Berkey said, you know, that we don't have any bench players anymore. So yeah. <laughs> I love the, that, that rotation idea. That's, I feel the same way about this tournament. Uh, we're, we're fly over footy on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks for joining us talking about will they, or will they not be using the best players in this tournament? Let's learn what some of Columbus's best players are. They have plenty. <laughs> Yeah, Columbus in general has been liking a 3-5-2-ish formation. And so they run a three center back. They love their wing backs. They're going to come out strong with wing backs. And I think that's where St. Louis is going to see a lot of this. And so when you have so many attackers in a three center back formation with your wing backs like Mohamed Farsi, that puts a lot of pressure on your central midfielders and your attack. Their central midfielders are Darlington Nagby and Aiden Morris. A lot of familiar names if you're following the national teams. Nagby, obviously, he's 33 years old at this point, wearing their number six, former U.S. international. Well, I say former U.S. international, but, you know, he could still be called up, I suppose. He's a designated player for them, playing their central midfield. Oftentimes finds himself as the lone pivot, if not a dual number six in their 3-5-2 or 3-4-3, uh, depending on how they look. Their attackers, though, their top four attackers are Alexandru Matan, Christian Ramirez, Cucho Hernandez, and everyone knows his name, Lucas Zellerion, the most famous Columbus crew player, easy to say. He's been with them since 2020. He's 31 years old. He wears their number 10. He's an Argentinian designated player, and he is their playmaker. He leads their team in goals and is second in their team in assists, 10 goals, 7 assists. He leads their team with 49 key passes. He averages over half a goal per 90 minutes. He's second on their team in shots and in shot, shots on target. He, he leads their team in crosses. He's second on the team in long ball passes next to Patrick Schulte. He's second in the league with 73 successful dribbles. This is the guy who their offense goes through. They have playmakers. They have goal scorers. They have finishers. But it all centers around Lucas Zellerion. Him playing is going to be the linchpin in how we're able to attack this Columbus team. 
but they're not, it's not just him. Cucho Hernandez, 24 years old, they're number nine. They signed him in the last summer transfer window to be their big splash, their designated player. Santi, Colombian, gotta love him. <laughs> he was brought in, he was brought in, he's now third on the team in goals with five, leads their team in assists with 10. So the way he plays, kind of getting inside underneath, as well as facilitating the ball himself, he's third in the league in total shots with 83, first on the team in shots on target with 28. So 28 shots on target out of 83 shots. Christian Ramirez oftentimes plays as a second striker with them. You can think of this as the Sam Nico combination if you're making the connection to City. Christian Ramirez is the where's their number 17. He's from the United States, an MLS veteran. This is his first year with the crew. He actually played with Tim Parker in Houston back in 2021 and is the second on their team in goals with eight. The way that they play, their styles are very different. Get into that in a second. The last really um, attacker is their midfielder, Alexandru Matan. 23 years old, wears the number 20 from Romania, is a U22 initiative signing and is second on their team and assists with eight. Both of them, Matan and Zellerayan, love to play outside. They work their wings so well, and they love to possess the ball. The wingbacks are going to be playing an awful big role after Zellerayan and Matan are their playmakers up top with uh, Cucho and Ramirez as their their sharks in the attack. Um, Zellerion and, uh, and and Matan, they love to play those half spaces on the sides of the field. They build from the sides. There's a lot of creativity that goes on, and they're successful with their carries and passes in open space. The wings are going to be dangerous with Mohamed Farsi and Yali Boa. They're two wingbacks, and they push high. They push real high up the field. If you think about how LAFC often worked, um, that's similar style. They're going to ex- exploit the wings often. So at times, this allows Cucho Hernandez to drop underneath and open up some space uh, to, to with those pressing wingbacks, give the, giving him space to reach the end lines. Christian Ramirez is that player who's more of a poacher. He's the aerial threat inside the box. He I liken him to Sam Adeneron, where he can hold up play, and he's going to be the guy you target in there. There's a lot going on with those guys. The style of play that we're going to see from Columbus is pressing high, winning the ball, keeping a high back line, and possessing the ball until the end of time. The Columbus crew lead the league with 56.9% possession, whereas St. Louis is last in the league with 43.5. We're talking about uh, pressing teams here. City is second in PPDA, the, the passes per defensive action, and Columbus crew right there tied fifth. They're right in between LAFC and Inter-Miami. So they're this team that's going to press us, and, and we have to work around that. We have to uh, respect their wing work, and we have to try to find a way to get over the top in them. The way that they move the ball is going to be very intentional. Lots of passing, uh, lots of pressing, and lots of possessing. We don't have much time, guys, but let's give Santiago and Stewart a chance to kind of talk about what they'd like to see against Columbus or what they might think Columbus might look like. Santiago, would you like to start us on anything you'd like to talk about with with Columbus? So since we don't have much time, are we going to do our lineup? Yeah, well, we could skip straight to that if that's a good idea. We tend to go along on that as well. Hey, we can we can do a deep dive on some more stuff on Columbus on the wind down for those who uh, want to tune into the podcast. That sounds good. Let's do that. Santiago, would you like to start us off on, on, the, on your perspective lineup for this game? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, going with my, my lineup. So as I mentioned, there may be some rotation and part of it... Um, Part of it for, for this formation, I have uh, Tim Parker and Roman Berkey were in the All-Star game this week, so I, I'm thinking they're going to get a break. So I'm going with Ben Loon on goal. Mm. Then um, Johnny Nelson uh, on the left side, 
Kyle Heaver, Lucas Barlett, Akil Watts, then uh, Diamond Milfield formation with Jabulo Blom, Celio, Indiana Basilev, and uh, AC Jackson. And uh, the two up front, I have uh, Nico and Sam Adeniran. And I think um, when I was doing this lineup, I had like also like Ostrak instead of Jackson. So I think like maybe second half Jackson will come off. Uh, same thing, uh, Nico will probably come out and uh, Alm will go in. Uh, but I think, um, as Stuart said, against Club America, you have to put your best lineup. So this is my attempt to uh, have some rotation and have your best lineup available against Club America. Yeah, that's cool. Matt, what do you think? I've got a similar one. Uh, I do have Ben Lute starting in net. My back line looks like Kyle Hebert, Lucas Bartlett, Josh Yarrow, and Akil Watts. I think it's riding some of the hot hands in Hebert, Yarrow, Watts, and bringing Bartlett back into the fold. I do like the idea to give Parker and Berkey some rest, hmm. uh, have them full strength going to Club America. Our, my midfield has Jabulu Blom and Edu Leuven. I think this continues Leuven's progression. He's he's just now getting up to 30-plus minutes, and so I think he's ready to start and carry on. This tournament, to me, is you get Leuven back into full fitness, and so I'm looking to him to ramp up as opposed to be given breaks. My um, it mine's a four two two two, so it's got Indiana Vasilev and Aziel Jackson, Aziel Jackson right above them, and then Sam Adenaron, Nico Joachini as our strikers. What do you think, Stuart? I mean, this might be a situation where we toy with five at the back, and mm. uh, maybe, but yeah, I think Lund plays with uh, Columbus. And then Berkey against uh, Club America, but maybe we see uh, Nelson, Hebert, Parker, Yarrow, and Watts, Bartlett on the bench, and then Vasilev, uh, Bloom, Stroud, Adenaran, and Alm with Nico on the bench. Just kind of mix things up and go, go a little chaos if you're Carnell. Play with it. I agree. It's free money to some extent. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I completely agree. And I kind of came up with just a fun back five idea as well. And so if if we're going to leave off Berkey and Parker, I still think you can kind of put in uh, Bartlett in the middle and then Yarrow as the middle center back rather, and then Yarrow and, and Hebert on either side. I'd like to see Nelson get a run out at left wing back um, against at least the crew. I'm not sure if that's something permanent that I would want, um, but I would also like to see Watts play as a right wing back because I think he's a little more attacking than Norwinsky against the crew at least. And then, you know, the rest is kind of just, you know, I'm going to say Vasilev and uh, Leuven in the, the middle as the central midfielders. And then do you want to play with, two strikers in that case you might have sam and nico up top with perhaps um uh, az underneath or do you want to play with a 3-4-3 where we have alm on the right someone on the left and then start against this team against the crew i would start sam because i do think aerial balls are going to be really useful in this one and having those wingbacks bomb uh, bomb up i mean we've just seen how hot sam has been uh, heading the ball in. So, you know, just give it a shot. The chaos thing is definitely something that could work against the crew. Um, so that would be a fun one. I think 
a mix of Santiago and Matt is what's going to happen. But um, that's going to be the first game where we start with three at the back if that ends up being the case. Yeah, and I and now's the time, and it's only because Nilsson's on the horizon, right? Do we play with three center backs when he comes in? It's the only reason to do it, and I think this is a perfect testing ground. I don't think it's going to happen at this point of the season, but um, it could. It absolutely could. So that's a fun one for you guys. I hope you've enjoyed the the show. We are Flyover Footy. We're on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Go City. Welcome back to the wind down, everyone. More Leagues Cup talk. Let's yeah. Go. Let's do it. Let me... I want to make sure we don't have... Do, do, do. No, we don't. We don't have a question that starts with that. So let's... Yeah, let's talk more about Leagues Cup. What did we miss? There was so much to talk about. We missed a lot of stats, but... Oh. I, I think I was uh, pretty pretty quick in getting a lot of the style that Columbus plays. And that's that's honestly the, the big takeaway I want to get across is just what we can expect to run into from Columbus. We know what St. Louis does. We know St. Louis takes a lot of shots. We know we like to cross the ball. We like to send the ball long. We like to win aerial duels. But what is I, I love to focus on our opponent. And Columbus, one of the things against Columbus is they're not aggressive. So they press, but end of the day – they really like to possess and their league leading possession stat really reinforces that. And they really like to play the ball up with their own high line. So they keep their back line really high with those three center backs. They like to short pass the ball all over the place. And they, some of the tactical battles back and forth are where I'm really going to be interested in watching this game. If there was one, one kind of flaw that I see consistently in St. Louis city so far this year, it's the tactical adjustments that occur in the second half. And I feel like Carnell gets into his own head sometimes in trying to manage the game against the other team, as opposed to playing within himself. One of his favorite comments is sticking to their own principles. And I feel that's one place where in the second half, if things go wrong and they consistently go wrong, it's because they get outside of themselves. They try to chase subs or they try to chase a tactical adjustment that they weren't prepared for. And mm-hmm. they're not seeing their, their team adapt well to. I can see Columbus uh, doing what they did against New York, which Phil, we both independently of each other, <laughs> we both looked at this game a few weeks ago, Columbus, New York Red Bulls as kind of a, a marker for what could happen against St. Louis city, because Talking about all of the the different styles of play, I always compare when I when I say the styles of play that St. Louis has as far as their directness and the num- the number of passes per sequence that they have. St. Louis being one of the most direct teams and one of the least passing teams. New York Red Bulls are right there, so the style of play is very similar. But there's a little more, I would say, tactical fortitude to St. Louis in that they are willing to pass the ball around a little more. They're willing to be a little more targeted in their approach, play the ball through their midfield a lot more with their talented midfield of Blom and Leuven. It has like more so, natural footballing to it. It, felt it does. Like. And and that's like, like not to, not to get too off track, but that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about watching this team play is they're not a, a spray and play type of team. They're mm. not a send it and forget it. They are willing to let, Jabulu Blom work the ball up into the midfield and let AZL Jackson, Indiana Vasilev, or Tomas Ostrak work their magic with the ball as a true playmaker in the midfield. They are willing to progress the ball quickly in those ways, as opposed to 
the what Red Bulls typically like to do. With Columbus, though, Columbus is very weak in their aerial duels, and so that's an opportunity for uh, Sam Adeneron especially. That's why I had him in my starting lineup, is we can send the ball. We can win those duels just like we did against Miami, who, if you remember, plays a similar style. A lot of their numbers match up with Miami, except for they finish a lot better than Miami. Hmm. Just like LAFC, too, we have an opportunity to win these aerial duels and progress the ball quickly off of those but this new york red bulls game in particular it was played on july 1st it was a 2-1 crew win and the tactical analysis i read the video that i saw the red bulls kept a very high line but we were very narrow and i believe the intent of that was to limit a lot of the counters that columbus would have through the middle so taking away a lot of their midfield work from from nagby and from zellerion and uh what they were able to do in midfield which Columbus tried like, anyway, too. They did. Early, you know, early on. but And that's where it comes into is the adjustment that Columbus is able to make. So Columbus sees what works. They, they send it forward. They trust their defense to protect. And they adjusted by sending the ball out wide. So they a ton of space was left on the wings. And that's where their wing backs and their attacking mids feasted. And, and they do that often. But in this case, they were able to outmaneuver the high press and the the all-out aerial attack by the Red Bulls, and they scored on two crosses, creating tons of space on their wings. And that's, earlier I was alluding to the danger of their wing backs and how Zellerion and their attacking mids, uh, including Matan, were able to kind of create space in and underneath the wings and, and just have a ton of space to work with. That's the danger that St. Louis can get caught up in, is allowing so much space on the wings and... It is one thing. The more you guys talked about a three center back with wing backs, it's it's appealing. It's definitely appealing. I just have I have trouble seeing the names of some of the guys you threw out defending well against end line runs by guys like Muhammad Farsi because we have shown a propensity to allow a Julian Gressel to beat us that way in the past. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that gives me worry is Hmm. space that they can create on the wings, getting crosses in and allowing some of their guys to receive those crosses and then make second and third passes into the box for, for guys like Cucho or Christian Ramirez. That's interesting to, to kind of like somewhat echo some of the things you said there is that I do think the crew, like you, you did say that they are comfortable possessing the ball and like yeah. they're extremely comfortable with their passing in the very back. Like some of the passes, they did this with crew too. I loved watching Patrick Schulte with Crew 2 last year because they were very bold in the back, Um, but they still do it. They will hand Patrick the ball, and he will spray it out. I mean, he uses both feet comfortably at times. He looks a little bit like a young Berkey to some extent. I'm not trying to go overboard (laughs) here, but it's beautiful. I'm super glad you said that. Yeah, it's beautiful, but it's also something that um, I think St. Louis can and will exploit better than even New York Red Bulls did um, because they did – try to exploit that, uh, but it wasn't super fruitful for them. Um, but, you know, to also add on, well, do you, did you want to say anything about that? Because there's other stuff you said that I wanted to add on to. I mean, about Schulte, do you want to stick with Schulte? Yeah. 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 So sticking with Patrick Schulte, who we all know Patrick Schulte, we, we love Patrick Schulte. He is the starting goalkeeper for the Columbus crew, St. Louis university grad from St. Charles. He's a generation Adidas player from the 2022 super draft. Schulte is their starting goalkeeper, bar none, end of story, which is one of, if if anything, that makes me think our perspective of starting Ben Lunt, maybe we don't see Schulte, but if we do, mm. Schulte's the kind of guy who was, was 
kind of back and forth last year with Next Pro, but this year he clearly unseated Eloy Room after Room just recently left the crew. You know, Schultz started all but two games this year, played all in, in except for those two games at the beginning of the year, the second and third games, he's played all 90 in every other MLS game. He's been their starter the whole year, enough to where they've felt comfortable seeing him as their long-term solution at goal. They've they've left Room. Room and the crew agreed to a mutual contract termination on July 17th after Room played 96 matches. So he's been with the crew for a while. Yeah. Schulte in particular, though, aside from having an overall good season, leading the crew to a sixth-place finish at the break, you said he's a good distributor. You said he's calm on the ball. He does act like that extra possession player. So he can be a fourth defender, so to speak, when you're progressing the ball around if you're using three center backs. Another reason why their wing backs are so successful in moving up the field because there's so much uh, confidence in playing the ball back to Schulte and what he can do. Mm-hmm. But the massive report, the former SB Nation site for the crew, had they, their tactical analysis of Schulte said that while he does do those things well, comes up big in big moments, the quality in the air for him needs to improve. So mm. in defense, when balls are coming into the box with him and he needs to make a decision on does he come out, does he stay in, does mm. he go for the grab, does okay. he punch it out, he's not great on making those decisions yet. He can be a little weary, a little little, uh, you know, not confident in what his actions are. And the other piece that he's deficient in a little bit from their perspective is 1v1s. So when he has a 1v1 in that same situation, right, where the Berkey game against Austin is the one that comes to mind because that's really the only time Berkey's had this issue. He he makes a decision on do I do I come out and do I attack the the attacker or do I drop back on my line? Do I stay back and do I I go for a, a save? You know, that's the that's the decision and Schulte has has been problematic with those decision makings coming off his line in the past. So that is an opportunity for City if we're able to create space, really com- create some of those back pass turnover type things. So those mm-hmm. PPDA numbers, right? If we can force a high turnover and get a shot on goal or what Sam did well the other week in, in creating the turnover, but not finishing with it. Yeah. yeah. I want to see more of that because he's, he's shown he's capable of forcing a, ba- a turnover high, just like Nico or AZR if we can convert that or at least create a dangerous shot off that, mm-hmm. I think that's one of our biggest opportunities in addition to those set pieces and aerial dual type wins. Yeah. Any team that is happy to possess the ball again, I, I think city players are enjoy that and there are going to be chances from it. Can they finish it? And I think to their, um, you know, in addition to uh, aerial balls kind of being able to be uh, useful against the crew, I think they do kind of, the back three kind of get scrambled, and that's why I think it will be nice uh, to have Nico and Sam with the aerial ball. All those things mixed together, and even if, if Azil's in, in there in the mix, Stroud, like anyone, can add to the chaos up high, especially in transition. You know, crew um, looked pretty like frantic at times in transition, defending out the counterattack, and so that's something that St. Louis will be happy to um, to to make them do. Um, I think the last thing I wanted to say about uh, the crew is that, you know, they also do, while they possess the ball, they've never seen a transition moment that they didn't love. And they are very good at the transition. Um, I thought for a second you were saying that Patrick Schulte's long ball kicks 
were bad um, because no, they're very good. <laughs> and no, he had a not, couple. No, was not trying to make that point. <laughs> no, he had a couple in that game against the Red Bulls where I was like, dang, that could have been an assist. It was very good. So watch is, for that. Not just him, but like the long balls on the counter, on the run, the rotation of the attacking two or three. It, you would never know which of the three attackers were going to be in the lead, which they, they are very good up top. Um, it's fun to watch, uh, but, you know, I hope it's I hope it's shut down by by our guys this weekend. There's a there's a stat that I like to look at on Opta that shows zones of control on the field and it shades it in blue, gray and red. And gray is if you have like 48 to 52 percent possession in any given spot on the field. There are uh, 30 different zones blocked out throughout the field. The crew have their, their entire field except for the 18-yard box on the other side of the field and the center right outside of it. Yeah. So those four <laughs> zones right there, the entire field is basically blue, meaning they possess the ball 53% or more on the entirety of the field except for <laughs> their opponent's 18-yard box and right in front of it. We're talking the entirety of the wings. They are... I believe the only team in MLS, yes, the only team in MLS where they control the entire wings through to the end line at a greater than 53% possession. Hmm. Like if that doesn't dictate how well their wingbacks are at getting in behind the defense and progressing the ball up in making plays both over the top and into the box on the ground, nothing else will. And that's what worries me is how clinical that they have been in their ability to do that. Santiago, we've been hogging the mics. Anything you want to talk <laughs> about with crew and, and what they look like, what you think they might do to us? So, or try? Actually, I wanted to ask you guys, since I haven't seen this Columbus against New York Red Bulls game, how did the New York Red Bulls uh, press work in that game? What did you guys see? I don't think they're as good at it as, as City. And maybe it's a personnel yeah, and, and, thing. And I, know not... they, I know that theirs is a little different, but I was just yeah. curious about what you guys saw. I guess the thing I noticed is they aren't attacking in twos quite as much. And I guess that's what I didn't like. I'm not, I shouldn't say that it's not as good. Maybe that's on purpose, but I've noticed that St. Louis hunts and packs a little bit more, uh, which also leaves them more vulnerable, you could argue, I guess. Right. When they bypass well, it. That, that's exactly what I was going to say is oh. they're not, I like to use the clinical term. They're not as clinical in their pressing. They're more chaotic in their pressing. And I didn't feel it was as disruptive as I often see St. Louis's. Now, okay. granted, I don't watch a lot of New York Red Bulls games. And so watching this one, uh, the moments I was able to see them be effective were fewer and farther between. And it was more so just forcing movement from the ball as opposed to dictating turnovers. Um, and especially turnovers that allowed them dangerous opportunities. I thought the crew managed it fairly well, especially working the ball to their sides. Hmm. And and that's where, you know, just I, I see them I see them being successful at times, but I see as long as St. Louis doesn't get too overambitious in their swarming and 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 committing numbers to any one portion of the field, allowing the crew to to beat them over the top or to get the ball into space, especially because yeah. that's where that's where St. Louis will get beat. If we commit too many numbers to our press and especially in one side of the field or one area of the field and the crew are able to break that and find a midfielder like a Nagby or like a Matan or Zellerion, God help us. <laughs> and they find space to work with. 
we're going to be in trouble because those are the highest level players that can just absolutely destroy a team in transition. Yeah, I think about double teaming uh, Nagby, um, and that man is an escape artist. It is impossible to get the ball off of him, and if he's able to get away from someone, find just an inch of space to spray the ball out to, say, Zellerion or Armaton, like you said, in space, that's a scary, scary thing to beat two or three city defenders. It's on at that point, you know, for the crew, so. Yeah, the the way these stats break out too is kind of fascinating to me because it it if anything just hammers home the difference in styles of these two teams where yeah the crew do love to press but their bread and butter is possession and so like LAFC I mentioned that I talked earlier how I thought they were like Miami but more successful at their finishing but if you remember that LAFC match they they pressed us pretty well and they were more than happy to possess the ball that's magnified by the crew as well they do the exact same things so much so that Columbus is a top three team in MLS in total passes, whereas St. Louis is last. The key passes become a little closer to where St. Louis's overall number of passes are uh, more defined in how they lead to shots. Columbus just passes the ball until the end of time. Crew and City, they do match up fairly well in shot-creating actions. And so Columbus, by sheer volume, will eventually get to a shot, and they are one of the league leaders in shots, like I mentioned, they are the league leader in goals scored. But the interesting thing on the defensive side, opposite of that, is the blocks, the tackles, the interceptions. The crew rank pretty low in MLS in all of those. And so that's one thing that I think is going to be interesting to watch because St. Louis is a high-volume attack. We get off a lot of shots if we're having a successful game. And we don't always score on those shots. You know, I think percentage-wise it's pretty low, but... It's an attrition game. It's it's a war of attrition by St. Louis that we often win when we are high volume with our shots. And with a crew team that is 20th in MLS in blocks, 19th in tackles plus interceptions, I just wonder if the skill and ability is there in what the crew like to throw out for them to stop this kind of St. Louis offense. If we can really, if we can get on the offensive, if we can stay within ourselves and what we usually play, the way that teams typically end St. Louis attacks by either blocks or clearances, especially those are, those are not in the crew's toolbox. They're, it's not their skill set. They're last in the MLS in clearances. So their possession based offense often limits the amount of defensive actions that they need to do. But at the same time, St. Louis requires teams to do that in order to stop them. It's very, it's very much a juxtaposition in styles and that's one of the big reasons why I'm excited to see this. Agree. Um, lastly, about the crew before we move on, um, I think just like we talked about Tata Martino last week, um, I think that Wilfred Nancy is an up and coming coach in MLS. He was. I saw lots of shouts for him to be the USMNT coach, even which is crazy. Um, wow. But yeah, he's figured out the league. He knows what he's doing. He took Montreal, an unexpected, a team they expected to do nothing. Uh, he took them really far last year, and then the crew stole him, basically. Um, so that's a cool storyline and something to watch for as well. It, it's not often you see a team pay for another coach within the league, right. and that's what the crew did. They went out and they sought uh, CF Montreal's coach, their his staff, the trainer, fitness, assistant coach. All those guys went with Nance and so took what he was building in Montreal. If you remember, Montreal was a good team last year. It wasn't just George Mahalovich that was there, right. but they were a good team. And that was due, 
yeah, yeah they, had, they had a good run in the playoffs. Exactly. And that was in no small part due to Nance. And he brought that to the crew. And the crew earlier in the season had a couple ebbs. But lately, I mentioned their 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 game form lately. And their, not just their last three, but really their last two months have been pretty impressive. And they definitely have um, not lost at home. And so that's the that's one of the biggest things is they seem to be mm. one of these MLS teams that embody home field advantage. That's one of the reasons why in my prediction for the match, I have it as optimistic, a 1-1 game with a PK mm. win to St. Louis. Mm. Oh, I forgot about the PKs, but yeah, I also had 1-1. One, one. <laughs> oh, well, Santi, uh, Santi, tune in to Flyover Footy on KTRS. <laughs> I will, well, I, I forgot right now. I, okay. I know about it because uh, I I talked about it on something that you guys will see next week. Also yeah. wrote about it on something you guys will also see next week. All right, uh, all right. I'm stepping but back. Yeah, but yeah, when I when I did my prediction, I totally forgot about the PK. So my bad. But yeah, I also had one one. No, oh, okay. I for real, I was thinking a draw as well, but I forgot. I didn't know the the draw rule, so <laughs> I'm not even gonna hide. On, <laughs> um, here's a really cool one, Santiago. This one's to you. I love this question. Mud Puppy Ultras asks, "Can you guys provide a quick recap of the interview view that Santiago did with Diego uh, Giuliani um, the other night? Seems like it was a good talk. He said his Spanish is a bit rusty, but he's interested to hear." the take on the direction of the club now that um now that he's had time to get acclimated oh, yeah yeah back and enjoy this one mm-hmm. I, i'm glad I, i'm glad i i saw that question in advance um so mm-hmm. i went back and listened to the interview because yeah i remember some things but i was like oh great I'm, i have to listen to it again just to uh make sure I, i'm providing a a good recap uh but no it was great to have him in the boot it was his first uh, interview as uh president of St. Louis CDSC and obviously he's from Argentina and speaks Spanish so it was it was perfect uh, it was it was short uh, it was a halftime so he was with us uh, like for six minutes and then he went to uh, the English booth to uh, do the same interview with them but uh, but no he um, the my first impression very very down-to-earth guy uh, very approachable and um it wasn't his first game at City Park. He it was his first game in official capacity, but he had been to City Park before. Uh, but yeah, he talked about the stadium environment uh, that um, it was great. And then we asked him about why he decided to uh, take the job with St. Louis City SC after being with a uh, City Football Group. And basically, he said that just the project and the vision the ownership group has. Um, were big for him and um, that he wanted to to help uh, building this project. We asked him about his previous role. He uh, he um, basically he was in charge of teams in Latin America and in Europe. So in Latin America, teams in Bolivia and Uruguay. Mm-hmm. Also a team in Japan. Um, in Europe, it was teams in Spain, Italy. France and Belgium, but basically he he will work with these clubs on defining the strategies, strategies and objectives for uh, these teams. And basically, he said that's what I'll be doing at at City. I will be um, helping define uh, sporting, financial, and business goals, 
we also asked him about, so basically he had experience with Latin American soccer, with some of these teams, also with European soccer. So we asked him like about the difference between the two, the differences between the two, um, the two continents and uh, different leagues and how he could apply that to uh, the MLS. And something that really caught my attention, and that's something I was, we were planning to ask, but he brought it up. He said, well, yeah, MLS has a lot of different rules and it is important to understand those rules and um, make sure we work within those rules. But um, he <laughs> didn't make it a big deal. He said, like, every time we invested in a new club, in a different country, we, we had to go and understand the rules in that country and and make sure we everything we did was based on those rules. But we know MLS is a little different. So <laughs> he um, he's learning about the rules. And yeah, and hopefully that will change, Matt, uh, and, and feel like and I think we also have uh, something about that on on the list to, to hit today. But uh, but yeah, he said he's aware that the rules are different and he's learning uh, getting up to speed on all of that in all of that but um but no great 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 first impression i think he he's gonna be um, a great addition um to the club um he, he's bought into uh, the vision the club has and uh when when he mentioned about sporting financial and business goals um to me it, it means uh that the team has a good project to continue growing and i see it as uh when when the press release about his hire was released there was something about uh city growing as a global brand mm -hmm. so um we didn't have a since it was a short interview uh, we didn't have to talk about this but i think uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what um the club will do with alliances with other clubs with other clubs overseas mm -hmm maybe using his experience, maybe something in South America or uh, or um, like uh, some European countries. But uh, I think he will be a great addition to the club. And just the fact that he came from an organization like City Football Group to come to uh, St. Louis. Another fun fact, uh, he mentioned that he arrived to St. Louis on 4th of July and he arrived uh, like on, a, on an evening <laughs> flight. And when he arrived to St. Louis, all he could see uh, from the plane was fireworks going on <laughs> all throughout uh, the city. Yeah, all throughout the city. He, he mentioned that, no, but no, it, Louis thing. it was great uh, talking to him and meeting him and getting a little bit of insight on on what he is planning to do uh, with City and all the experience he has. But I think he will be a, he will be a great addition. You know, the, a couple of things that you said that piqued my interest were the uh, the idea that he was um, enamored or came with the what the ownership was able to sell on their vision and how uh, the project, because we hear that regularly from guys who come to the club, not, not just the, like the players that are kind of brought in or convinced to come here internationally. We like, we heard it from, uh, I remember interviews with Berkey, with Klaus, with Yoki Nilsson, like all those guys, they were sold on the project, the idea, like the ownership's vision. And to see that be so permeating, and so like you're able to, like you said, the, the, the Man City experience, like that's that's the top team in the world right now. And so to get a guy from that organization hmm. to buy into the vision that you have in St. Louis, Missouri, that's something. Yeah. And, and we we believe in our ownership group and what they want for the city. And at times there are especially this year with the transfer window open, there are times where you 
fans want their owners to spend more. Uh, but I think knowing the, the, the stewardship that this ownership group has for not just the club, but the city and the fans and wanting it to be both highly successful on the field as well as off that all, it just, it's reinforced by a signing like this. And to hear Giuliani talk about all of those things is that that's always reassuring. And then the other thing that really caught my interest is the expanding the global brand, right? As, as one of his core competencies or core concepts. And that leans me back to the oft discussed potential relationship that St. Louis city has with, uh, Bayer Leverkusen. And it, it leads me to kind of think that we we've like, we're just waiting at this point for the, 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 the relationship, <laughs> relationship to be formalized, right? <laughs> That kind of hire leads me to believe it won't be formalized. And and maybe you guys disagree. I'm interested mm-hmm. because my take on that is if you're trying to grow St. Louis City to be a global brand, you don't want to tie yourself down to one single club in the Bundesliga. You want to you want to not have a defined relationship with one club. You want to have multiple relationships selling to multiple multiple organizations in different countries and you limit yourself if you're just having a pipeline to Leverkusen as right of first refusal, essentially. What do you think, Santi? Yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting point. And I had not thought, I had not thought about that, but if you want to have alliances, like if you don't have alliances with any clubs, like how do you like continue, like growing your brand and maybe, uh, getting some talent from, or I guess you can do that a different way, but I was thinking more about partnering with, either with Leverkusen in Germany or with mm-hmm. a, a club in South America. But um, well, yeah. yeah. I, so partnering, partnering potentially. But I'm yeah. saying, like, I'm thinking of like the FC Dallas uh, Bayern Munich relationship, where it was like essentially a pipeline to an extent, mm-hmm. where Munich was they they wanted somebody, then there was a deal that was basically you go to that team first. As opposed mm. to the what we know of the Leverkusen arrangement is sharing knowledge yeah. and potentially having a deal for a certain player, but you're not saying we are we are partnering with them to develop our players and to have to where it's it's a pipeline relationship. So there yeah. there are deals that I think that would benefit St. Louis to have in multiple countries. So whether you're t- you're picking yeah. a team in a, in a different country, so maybe England, Germany, Argentina, Chile, wherever. I'm I'm wanting to leave it a little more open ended, and so yeah, yeah. The more you talked about that, the more I'm like, okay, maybe this guy is doing all that. If, if there's another complaint that I've heard from the fan base, it's that we have a lack of uh, a lack of influx from South American talent, right? Yeah, you you've obviously heard that. I know you have, and this is a potential way to expand that reach, but also expand the awareness. Because without without a direct pipeline or without a direct um, player on your team that draws eyes, like Apple TV, yes, has eyes all across the globe. Now you can tune in for whoever. But if you don't have a player on your team, you're not going to get eyes from South America. They're going to watch Atlanta United 10 out of 10 times versus St. Louis City. And Miami. And Miami now, yes, absolutely. (laughs) 100%, yes. Um, This is my old MLS eyes. Disagree. uh, Going to Atlanta. Just kidding. (laughs) 
but but you need those kind of players. And so as you as you have a more of a global reach in different countries and different continents, especially, then you can draw certain households, certain eyes, certain newspaper articles, certain online papers that are written about you and, and you're drawing attention to St. Louis globally. Like I think back to the the South Africa article about Jabulu Blom here recently that and they continue to write. There was one recently about Bradley Carnell. And so you're getting eyes from from Africa, South Africa right now. Um, you have Ghana with with Josh Yarrow. You're getting eyes from different continents. And Giuliani will just magnify that to the nth degree. Yeah. And uh, just thinking back uh, about um, we're going to come up a little bit for Circle Club America. One of um, and I know we are probably going to talk about this. Are we going to have a. I don't know if we're going to have a flyover footy about Club America. Yeah, it's probably going to fall to you and me. Yeah. But so, so, so I guess a, a quick, uh, just a quick fact about that. One of their, one of their, basically their, their last signing, uh, Julian Quinones, he is a product of a partnership. Uh, and uh, I'm going from what I remember. I may have some of the things wrong, but maybe uh, I'll have it ready for when we do a flyover fallout. But he is from Colombia. And he is product of a partnership, and I believe it was Tigres. Uh, it is Tigres who has a partnership with a youth club in Colombia, hmm. and they brought uh, Julian Quinones, like really young, to to Mexico and developed him. He ended up going on loan uh, to Atlas, and he was very successful there. And then this year, he was transferred. He was transferred to. Uh, south america and partnerships like that is what i would love to see city trying to do yeah. Uh, and yeah i get your point like not like uh, just partnering with one club and giving them the first right of refusal maybe partnering with different clubs and pulling talent from different places but i think it'd be great to have something like that in south america yeah, totally it's... agree that kind of network right yeah, is city futures I think is like priority one, and that's the hardest challenge I think. Um, but it's not hard to do. Um, Ricardo Garza, like the Club Atletico owner, um, I mean he had academies in Bolivia, and I, I forgot what Zaire I believe in Africa, um, like just strange places. But if you go to these places, it's not expensive. And you have a chance to help people as well as further them in the soccer community and give them even a chance in the United States. The what is what stuff he was working on. The man has incredible vision. If you haven't kind of talked to to Ricky or um, heard all the things that he has wanted to do over the years, I just wish we could all give him a million dollars each and he could actually get some things done. Um, and I think he'd do well with it. But um, you know, that's a side story, but it's not hard to do, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And I think a, a club with with uh, City's resources, with the heart that I re- truly think that City has um, the right frame of mind for why they would do those sorts of things. Um, you know, I'd love to see it, too. I, I, w- I think that would be one of the most fun things to do is to start partnerships in other countries to help people as well as for their, their soccer as well as City's soccer. So that's a good point. Um, we got to talk about one more thing. I'm going to skip everything. Um, well, I'll give you guys the choice. Should we talk more about League's Cup? And we haven't talked about the rosters, but this Jorge Moss thing seems really tasty to me, and I'd really love to talk about it. I'm happy to spend some, a few minutes on that. We could probably get to one of those other topics, but 
I think we mind. got one more in us. Let's do Jorge Mas. Uh, he had an article in The Athletic. It's always fun to talk about potential salary cap changes, discussing the rules, as is, is, uh, Santiago was talking about with Giuliani. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Uh, Matt, Matt, maybe you can tell us more about the article before we... Yeah, basically, there are two times throughout the year where MLS Board of Governors meet. And the Board of Governors are representatives from every club. So we know MLS is a single entity. And so the Board of Governors are the owners who are bought into the league. And twice a year, usually around the All-Star Game and usually around MLS Cup, all of the Board of Governors get together for a meeting. And these are where big decisions are made. The All-Star Game in 2019, in fact, is where the group essentially approved St. Louis joining MLS. These are the kinds of decisions that are made in these meetings. And Jorge Mas was interviewed in the fallout from this Board of Governors meeting by The Athletic, and he had some interesting comments because this was post-Messi, this is post-Sergio Busquets, I believe it was even post-Jordi Alba, and he, Jorge Mas was asked uh, how the club would measure its success with Messi, he was asked about the roster rules and the salary cap restrictions, and he was asked about Luis, uh, Luis Suarez. But obviously other than Suarez and and what they can you know maneuver with him he was being kind of cheeky and tongue in cheek with him he he said that they've already succeeded as as far as measuring its success with Messi in just <laughs> signing him and knowing what all is to come it's the salary and, and and roster restrictions loosening is the concept that really caught everybody's attention because in this meeting you know, you know what uh, the restrictions are that everybody has to play with. You know the rumors that Miami has. They they've already signed Messi. They've already signed Sergio Busquets. They are uh, they. I, I believe I saw today they signed Jordi Alba, mm-hmm. and they still have Leo Campana as a young BP on their roster. So massive questions on how they can fit all of them in addition to their three rumored U22 signings because they are those three rumors that Tom Bogert had the other day those were all supposed to be U22s crazy you can't mm-hmm. have three U22 signings with three senior DPs the roster rules do not allow for that so in as far as as loosening the restrictions that he's obviously in his best interest in his own interest to do it but he's also saying that um, there are, there is interest and there's energy in the room and all of us see the opportunity ahead of us, the opportunity to continue to grow the league. Hopefully he says, this is a catalyst for the hyper growth that I and all of us aspire to. Mm. So he's, he's pushing the envelope. He, he's basically taking the slow role and the slow growth that MLS has played with the flashpoints of a Beckham to to change things seismically he's using this messy moment as a flashpoint to seismically alter mls <laughs> roster restrictions and salary cap rules and here's the really interesting thing to me is unlike previous iterations of these board of governors meetings apple tv executives were in this meeting first oh. time i can ever recall mm. that app that a a network executive was allowed into that kind of a meeting where the league and the broadcasters discuss plans to continue improving and building both domestically and across the globe. Interesting. Wow. That's... So this is this is another example of just how much the partnership yeah. between MLS and Apple exists. To have hmm. a board of governors meeting include Apple TV executives. I wonder if MLS likes that or not. <laughs> that's interesting. They might like it. They're they might be a helpful. Massive infusion of cash, though. I yeah, mean, that's, that's true. The whole point of it is that this revenue deal, this uh, streaming deal, uh, media deal, they call it, 
is so much over the top compared to what they had been getting and mm. it still has the the capacity for more so they're getting it's a it's a 2.5 billion dollar deal over 10 years 250 million per year that's the baseline that's the minimum they're getting from apple there are revenue sharing if you meet a certain subscriber base and mm -hmm. so the idea and that's why messi is getting a portion of this part of messi's deal isn't just the 50 to 60 million dollars guaranteed right. it's it's the revenue sharing from adidas and apple and the revenue sharing is expected to be the on top numbers. So right. essentially they're banking on Messi putting them over the top of the subscriber base globally. And, and it will anything. Right. Obviously he will totally agree. And I think the idea is that whatever number they have to get that revenue sharing started and kick in from that point on Messi now gets a cut of it, which makes sense if he's the driving factor. I, there, I don't think you'll find anybody to argue it, but Jorge Mas is now very clearly leveraging this into I have a chance here at Miami to build not just a, a messy Busquets Jordi Alba team, but I can build a super team. I can build the Barcelona equivalent to MLS. I can build a man city here, here in MLS. I want to do it. I have the resources. I can pay people. I can sign people. Hmm. I'm just not allowed to inside the rules. And I'm getting you all of these viewers, all of these subscribers by bringing in all of these globally known talents let me do this it loosen the rules and i'll bring in all kinds of eyes and he's doing this publicly as publicly mm -hmm. as he can like this is definitely uh yeah a push right it's not a request it's a push i like it yeah oh yeah I, his I, quote his quote that i really like he says evolution is inevitable and change is likely lovely. we all want this to be an elite league we all want it to grow I love it. This is going to be like that watershed moment uh, where the league uh, is going to ch potentially change the rules and grow more and become a top league. And and yeah, the league needed somebody like Jorge Mas to bring a player like Messi, even though I think uh, it's two years too late, but uh, <laughs> he's, still at, he's still at his prime and he's still able to leverage his network and bring some of his friends. Mm -hmm. But when the league, uh, if the league changes um, some of the rules for next year, um, more teams are going to able to capitalize on this because it's not like Messi is going to bring all his friends to Miami, but he's probably going to help uh, uh, or may and maybe he, he won't be involved, but some players will see, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. Messi has this thing going on in Miami, like some, uh, some of his teammates, uh, former teammates at Barcelona, also with an infusion of young talent. Some players in their prime uh, will be more attracted to come to MLS because MLS has done a great job bringing young players. But I think the next step is bringing, bringing players in their prime, 25, 26 years, 20, 25, 26 year olds um, that can come in their prime when they still have like uh, four to five more years in their prime and uh, play in MLS and helping grow in the league. But for that, you need to um, to lessen the rules on the salary cap and maybe on DPs. But uh, I like that changes are coming and hopefully those things are in place for next year. And that's the next evolution of the league. It has to be is, is getting those 25, 26 year old players in their prime to see MLS as a destination. And that's where all of at the end of the day, when Messi and Busquets leave and they retire after a couple of years, two or three years, that's where you want MLS to end up is that destination beyond just being a selling league. 
because the U22 initiative was introduced two or three years ago to, to have this young player infusion to get MLS, these young players from South America and from elsewhere to come to the league, develop and sell them off. It's made MLS a selling league, which is what they wanted over the past couple of years. Now you're seeing as the roster rules can possibly loosen, you see the possibility, the realistic possibility of that occurring at the other end of this. I just love that this happened. I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way to you, Santiago. You can you can let me know if it does. But there's something to like the American uh, industry and the American capitalistic endeavors um, that for its evils was it's the thing that got messy here. You know, the the all bringing in three different revenue streams to give this man a high enough salary to beat out the Saudi league which just got two billion dollars of like government slash royal infusion (laughs) right i mean just that's a massive endeavor you know we just lost ronaldo this could have been a ronaldo messi conversation you know what i mean um but the saudis got ronaldo mls got messi and my point isn't to go backwards and talk about how great this move is looking forward we can use that ingenuity for better the capitalistic endeavor is there. Apple Plus is in. Adidas has been in for years. Who else can we bring in because of Messi? And how much can we do if we just loosen these rules? We have the capital now. It's not like, I guess my big question is, is this about owners and protecting their investment? Or is this about furthering a league? If it's about furthering a league, then we need to relax these um, these rules it needs to be about owners who want to spend to make the league better. It's not about owners who want to sell their team for a profit in 10, 20 years or whatever. Cronky, thank I, you. I saw an interesting tweet today by Alejandro Bedoya from the Philadelphia Union, who is a yeah. well-known player rep. And he floated the idea of a luxury tax system being implemented in mm. MLS, not unlike Major League Baseball or right. the NBA, where if teams want to spend – they can spend. They can go beyond the cap. They can go way beyond the cap. They could bring in every single player they want to, but they have to pay a penalty to the rest of the league that gets split up to the rest of the teams. And so owners who don't want to go above the luxury tax can still benefit from those who do, and then they can use that money however they see fit. It continues to grow and and kind of the it's it's the rising tide raises all ships, right? And so that's an interesting theory in a way that can you can still sort of stay within the bounds of what you have now and marginally grow it, but you can also implement a very a simple system, like comparatively a simple system that would allow for a Jorge Mas to do whatever he wants, mm-hmm. and then whatever penalty exists goes to the rest of the owners. Can't let it go to waste. We've said it before, and I think it still applies to this overall. You got to take advantage of this. This, this is very up. much. This is very much the flashpoint, and. Yeah. We, we talk about the roster rules and the owners, but one thing I do want to really, really say is the opportunity will be further reinforced by competitive matchups the rest of the season. And by that, I mean you have all of these eyes on MLS now. You have subscriber numbers that are booming. You can't have Messi dominate every single team that he plays. You need to see right. somewhat competitive matchups hmm. to prove to the na- to the global audience that the players who are in MLS aren't anything to joke about. Like this is a legitimate league top to bottom, if not, and, and that would do, that would be impressive, but at least, at least a handful of teams, you have to compete. You have to really show the showcase the top tier talent 
but showcase a lot of the different teams, whether it's League's Cup, which is a good opportunity for it, or the back half of the MLS season, maybe U.S. Open Cup if Messi plays in it. But there needs to be competition that occurs because if you if you have Messi and Busquets steamroll the entire league in the rest of their matchups, make the playoffs, win the cup easily, then you're only going to do further harm to the reputation of MLS by saying you bring the best in, they're going to squash everybody else. Mm-hmm. Have an opportunity not just from a roster rule salary cap to raise the the abilities of all the teams and push them in that regard, but you really do have an opportunity to raise the notoriety of MLS in a very, very good way by by proving competition to not just Messi and Busquets, but to Diego Gomez, 20 years old, to Facundo Farias, 20 years old, to Toto Avalas, 19 years old, the U22s that Moss is bringing in to Miami. Because all of these guys hungry, looking for their next opportunity. Yeah, You challenge these guys on a global level, I mean, that that does nothing but good for MLS. Any yeah, last speaking of, yeah, speaking of uh, MLS, uh, like getting a lot of eyeballs, uh, and Matt, you mentioned uh, about Messi playing in US Open Cup. I saw um, something on social media, I don't remember if it was today or yesterday, that US Open Cup uh, between Cincinnati and Miami, that is the semifinal, is going to be broadcasted in, in, a, in, a, in a network from Argentina. So hopefully he plays. <laughs> I, I saw I, I saw an ad for it in wow. Spanish. It's one of the biggest uh, networks in Argentina, um, soccer-wise. So I think he will play, and at the same, I think he will play because it's his first chance. His first chance at a trophy. Hmm. This is the semifinal, and then you have one more game. So I would think, I would think he will play. Interesting. I would love it. Yeah, I'd love it for the Open Cup. To be honest, that's cool. All right, everyone, that's enough from us today. We've been on our soapbox, as we are wanting to do at least every couple of months, I think. Not every week. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed it. I did. Um, That's it from us for today, though. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.